Welcome to Walk in Truth. These are the Bible teachings of Pastor Michael Lance, equipping you to reach out with God's truth to all people and how to apply that truth to today's issues, trends, and culture. Learn more about the program and our ministry when you visit walkintruth.com. Now here's part three of Pastor Michael's teaching in Matthew 10, 24 through 32, called The Making of a Disciple. Everybody's going to get their just desserts. This is Ecclesiastes 12, 14. You might want to write it down. For God will bring every act to judgment, everything which is hidden, whether it is good or evil, Ecclesiastes 12, 14. And that's why I say thank you for the cross, Lord Jesus. Amen? Because my sin, my shortcomings are not going to be judged. I am forgiven. I will be declared righteous on that day. I'm already righteous positionally because of the work of Jesus. Amen? That's the good news of the gospel. Every act doesn't have to come into judgment because Jesus took the judgment. But Jesus is talking about those who reject him. What I tell you, 27, in the darkness, speak in the light. What you hear whispered in your ear, proclaim upon the housetops. Now, Jesus said some things privately to them. Perhaps this could speak of some of your devotional times or Bible study times. Jesus said, whatever you, nuggets you find, whatever you, truth you hear, use your platforms, proclaim it on the housetops. In the ancient world, in Israel, rooftops were flat and people would hang out there. They would fellowship together. You could address people down below from your roof. It became a platform in one sense. And I would ask you this practical question. How are you using your platforms today? You, each of you have a sphere of influence. Do people know you're a Christian? Have you preached the good news to them? Have, are you trying to live the good news before them? Are you looking for strategic opportunities to open up dialogue? We each have a rooftop, if you will. We have a platform where we can proclaim the light of Christ. People are living in a world of darkness. Don't be fooled by the facades that are out there. Jesus says, I want you to take the light I give you and I want you to speak it. And of course, they're about to go on a mission. And do not fear, and now he's going to ramp it up. A second, do not fear, verse 28, those who kill the body but are unable to kill the soul. But rather fear him. If you want all your fears to be squashed, the greatest fear is the fear of the Lord. It's the cure for every other fear. Jesus says, don't fear someone who can kill your body, but they're unable to kill the soul. Let's stop right there. You have a soul. On the authority of Jesus Christ, there's a part of you that's distinct from your body. Now, in Christian theology, there's two main camps. Dichotomy of soul and body teaches that you have a soul and a body. Die is two. Trichotomy teaches you have a soul, a spirit, and a body. Dichotomists say soul and spirit are the same thing. Trichotomists make a distinction between the soul and the spirit. For our sermon, it's largely irrelevant. But here's what I'm saying to you. On the authority of Jesus Christ, you have a soul. And your soul is going to live on if you have eternal life with the Lord in the kingdom of God. Amen? Amen. To be absent from your body is to be at home with the Lord. You have a soul. What will you give in exchange for your soul? Jesus said, it wouldn't be worth it if you gained the whole world. He didn't say a city block if you owned an island or two. He said, if you gave your soul, 
You forfeited your soul and you own the whole world. It wouldn't be worth it. Your soul is of such value. You have a soul. There is a life beyond this existence on the authority of Jesus Christ. And I would say that's a pretty good authority, amen? Amen. And Jesus says, there may be people, and of course the apostles listening to this, most of them were killed for their faith. Read Fox's Book of Martyrs. But they can't kill your soul. Persecutors, the wicked, if you will, can't kill your soul. There's only one who can destroy both body and soul in hell, and the one is God. I remember a song by Newsboys. How many of you remember Newsboys back in the day? They sang a song called, They Don't Serve Breakfast in Hell. Great song. And they don't, by the way. And some people, when they hear the word hell, they're like, oh, here we go. And some of you may have heard that teachers often say Jesus taught more about hell than he did about heaven. And when Jesus mentions hell here, our English word is H-E double hockey sticks. The, the word in Greek is, or the word in Hebrew is Gehenna. And it, it moves over to our uh, understanding of what this place is. So let me just, I want to slow down just for a moment and give you what Jesus says here. The word destroy is the word apilumi, apilumi and the, the basic idea of it is the word, just like it's translated destroy, some people think it could be annihilate out of existence. Notice it mentions that God can destroy both soul and body in a place called hell. That is Gehenna, G-E-H-E-N-N-A. Now, in the Old Testament, whenever you come across Sheol, Sheol, that's the grave, and that's the place where people go when they die. They're buried in the grave, and it's also known as the abode of the dead. Sheol, S-H-E-O-L, I think it's the correct spelling, moves over into Greek as Hades, and that's the abode of the dead, and that's the New Testament word for this place. So you have Sheol and Hades, Well, the word hell in our New Testament is in the Hebrew mind, or it's the the word Gehenna. What was Gehenna? It was also known as the Valley of Hinnom. It was named for a, a man, and then it became a location. In the Valley of Hinnom, it became known as the Valley of Slaughter. It was also called Topheth. And in Israel's history, they began to worship a pagan god called Molech. And in order to receive fertility blessings from this false god, they would heat up the arms of this ancient deity and place living children to be fried in his heated up arms until they died. And God said of Israel, they did something in following that worship, if you will, that never even entered into my mind. It's so wicked and abominable. And I'm not going to go into a diatribe on abortion, but you know that there's a saline solution in abortion procedures that basically accomplishes the same thing in the womb. And it makes me want to cry too. And so you just need to know that the the ancient gods are around just under different names. And I'm not trying to put anybody under a, a burden or so forth. 
but I'm just saying this. Israel imbibed the ways of the pagans. And this valley of slaughter, the valley of Hinnom, also known as Topheth, became pictured in the garbage dump of Israel. Here's what would happen. Some of you know, if you've ever been out to the country, they'll have a burn pile and they'll burn up tree branches and stuff like that and trash. Well, in Israel, in the ancient world, they would have a burn pile and it was right outside the city of Jerusalem and they would dump apparently animal carcasses, perhaps even humans. Um, they would, it would be for the city trash and it would be a perpetual fire. And Jesus used that image of Gehenna, the Valley of Hinnom, to give us the imagery of hell. It's a perpetual fire where things are destroyed. Now that's the imagery. And you, all, you also know that Jesus said that hell is like outer darkness where you can't even see your hand in front of your face. Which is it, you say, Pastor Mike? Well, I think it's a metaphor. Jesus is telling us it's the worst way to imagine dealing with a fire. Or it's the worst way to think of, you know, total darkness. It's, it's the worst you know, some people say, oh, I don't want to follow the Lord. One day I'll just end up in hell with my buddies. <laughs> I don't think so. This is a place where there's weeping and gnashing of teeth. This is a place when Jesus told the story in Luke 16 of a man who's suffering in Hades, waiting final judgment, who asks that someone go back and warn his brothers of this place. It's that type of thing. And Jesus says, look, if you die, if you're martyred for me, just know this, that those who destroy your body can't kill your soul. They can't kill you. But God can destroy both soul and body in Gehenna, in hell. Hell would be probably paralleled with the lake of fire. Let the fear of God stamp out all fears in your life. I want to tell you just quickly here, and we're, we're really out of time, but give me like five minutes and I'll finish. So, in historical Christianity, there were three major views of hell. And this is something that you need to be aware of. View number one that existed in the early centuries of the church was something called universal reconciliation. It was held by Origen and apparently others. Universal reconciliation taught, and there was like six schools in the ancient world, only one of them taught the eternal punishment view. I'll get to that in a second. Universal reconciliation teaches that after someone might end up under judgment, they'll be punished according to what they've done wrong, perfectly in keeping with God's justice, and then be reconciled back to God. Universal reconciliation. That everything one day will be reconciled back to God. Origen held this. Now that, of course, is a problem because we think of Judas. Jesus said it would have been better for him had he never been born we think of people like Hitler and other terrible people along the way. And we think, ah, could everybody one day be reconciled back to God? That seems like a stretch. There's some scriptures that they hang their hat on. But just be aware that there's a view out there like that held by, uh, you know, some in the Christian world. There's another view called conditional immortality. Conditional immortality. And that view is largely based upon verses like this. And scholars such as John Stott, Clark Pinnock, uh, have caused apparently quite a ruckus. Uh, they say something like this, you only have eternal life upon becoming a believer. Your immortality is conditional. On what? On receiving Jesus into your life as Lord and Savior, where you have eternal life. 
God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him will have everlasting life. They won't perish. You'll hear more from Pastor Michael in a moment. Pastor Michael and the Walk in Truth team would love to hear from you. Maybe you have comments or questions. You can leave a voicemail at 844-48-TRUTH. That's 844-48-TRUTH. But maybe you're more of a writer. You can email Pastor Michael at contact at walkintruth.com. That's contact at walkintruth.com. You can also find our mailing address on walkintruth.com. And thanks for reaching out. We'd love to see who's listening, so please connect with us on Facebook or Instagram. Just do a search for Walkin' Truth Show. Now, back to Pastor Michael Lance, right here on Walkin' Truth. God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him will have everlasting life. They won't perish. So the scholars say, taking the language at face value, it's not guaranteed that everybody's immortal. And here's what they teach. They say that if, you, if this view is correct, you go to a place of judgment if you're not a believer and God judges you perfectly with his justice according to what you've done, however long that takes, whatever level that is, and then you are destroyed. Your soul is destroyed by God and you literally go out of existence. That's conditional immortality. Scholars such as R.T. France, writing in the New International Commentary on the New Testament says, in this passage, Matthew 10, 28, it is spoken of as a place of destruction, not of continuing punishment. A sense which fits the origin of the term in the rubbish dumps of the Hinnom Valley, where Jerusalem's garbage was destroyed by incineration. On this basis of this text alone, it would therefore be better to speak of a true, of true life, that is the soul, not as eternal, but as potentially eternal, since it can be destroyed in hell, close quote. Now, I don't think France is saying that that's what he necessarily believes, but he's laying out the view. The third view is eternal, unending punishment in hell. That's been the traditional view, largely taught by the Catholic Church from about 500 to 1500 to our day. And they, and they did use it to scare people, Dante's Inferno and your loved one's going to burn forever and all that stuff and indulgences, and we, we won't get into all that right now, but it did scare a lot of people. Now, that doesn't mean it's not true. The eternal punishment view is the traditional view, but you do need to know that there's other views out there, and you know, with our sensibilities as people, we think of things like this, and I'll just throw it out, and I, I'm telling you, I've been in the traditional camp this whole time, but I'm at least investigating. So think about this. Someone suffers for a billion years and their suffering has just begun. That's eternal punishment. Now, some people might say, well, there's no sense of time there. Well, it's still going to last forever, whatever that means. So, and you all know that some people have chafed against the idea of eternal punishment. But again, that shouldn't be why I decide on my view. If my view is true, if it's biblical, if that's what Jesus said, if sin is so serious that God's going to judge people forever based upon a lifetime of whatever they did, that's God's prerogative. He's holy, right? But I will say to you, there's at least three views. Some people say there's four. If you want to pick up a book on this, Three Views of Hell by Steve Gregg. If you're interested in doing more homework, Three Views of Hell by Steve Gregg. Gregg is two G's at the end. And this is why some people 
have come up with some other views. And I spent a little time on this because I want to teach you something about your walk in theology. I had a professor, a good buddy of mine, say, I don't know if I should call him a buddy, but he's a friend. Uh, Michael, always read people who are on the other side because you may think that you're cemented in your view until you read somebody else's view. He, he would tell me, there's good people who believe what they believe because they've wrestled through this stuff. And don't just dismiss it because you've been in one camp for this whole time. So I just say, it's, it's healthy to investigate topics like this. And let's move quickly. We even have communion ahead of us. So I'm sorry to keep you, but I thought that was worth us spending a little time. So we're just going to go to verse 33. Are not two sparrows sold for a cent, and yet not one of them will fall to the ground apart from your father? God's providential, uh, precious knowledge of us, right? He knows us. Uh, he knows when a sparrow falls. The very hairs of your head are all numbered. He is a God who sees me and knows me. He knows all about me. Even numbers the hairs on my head. I will uh, try to fight against doing a joke about male pattern baldness right now. Uh, I'm, go- I'm not going to do a hair joke right here. Okay, I, th- I think that would be wrong. But on a, in a positive sense, I want to just say this that the very hairs of your head all being numbered probably is a reference to the resurrection body. Not any part of the essential you will be missing in the resurrection. You will be you in the resurrection. Amen? Before hair started going south. Maybe about the age of 18. In your prime. Back, knees, hairline, circulatory system. It's all coming back, baby. Apparently, God's got every hair numbered. You'll be you in the resurrection. This is a good time for a hallelujah. Praise the Lord. And your loved one will be them in the resurrection, just at their prime, without sin and the fall and the curse. Praise the Lord. Therefore, don't fear. You are of more value than many sparrows. And then finally, everyone, therefore, who should confess me before men, you're going out on the mission, this is what I want you to do. I will also confess him before my Father who's in heaven. Ready for a scary verse? But whoever shall deny me before men, I will also deny him before my Father who's in heaven. Now, I would imagine if you've been around the church for any length of time, you've probably heard an evangelist preach on those passages, and you might go, okay, uh, what does that mean? Well, can you imagine standing before God one day and Jesus saying, Father, I don't know who that is. Depart from me, you worker of iniquity. I don't know you. Do you know that the Bible teaches that eternal destinies will be based upon the word of Jesus Christ? That's radical. Maybe that's why so many people are divided about Jesus, right? It's his word that's either going to get you in or not. Now, what you want to hear is, well done, good and faithful servant. This one belongs to me, Father. Amen? (laughs) That's what you want to hear. It would be so terrible to hear the opposite. And some of you lose sleep over the opposite. You're like, you know, did I deny him with my actions? Look, it's not just about your mouth. It's about your actions. but, But I'll just say this. I think we need to know God's grace. We need to know the gospel here. But I think if you know him, you're going to confess him. But what if you don't? What if you had a moment of weakness and you denied him? What if you denied him by, with your silence or 
you know, you tried to blend in with a crowd because it would be hard to be singled out. What do you do now? Well, let's not forget Peter. Peter on that faithful night denied three times that he even knew the Lord. He started calling down curses to guarantee what he had said. And yet, what happened with Peter? Well, he was restored. France puts it this way, the later experience of Peter is an object lesson in denying Jesus under the pressure of public opinion. But Peter's subsequent rehabilitation adds a reassuring suggestion that the stark verdict of this saying may be understood to refer to a settled course of acknowledgement or denial rather than to every temporary lapse under pressure. I've got a final story and then communion's coming around. So, uh, a few weeks ago, I preached on Psalm 73 and a dear brother in the Lord that we've known each other for a couple decades comes up and he says, Pastor Michael, you don't know how relevant that sermon was, but I have a friend, um, he, when he was a, a young man and, and growing into a teenager, came from a very broken, troubled home and he himself walked to a church because he was just looking for answers and to get away from all the drama And he ended up going to a church. He got saved as a teenager, became a leader in the youth group, on fire, sharing his faith. You know, just one of those kinds of guys. And all of a sudden, something happened, and he turned and denied the Lord, started being anti-Christ, making fun of Christians, just totally went the other way for three decades. said, we lost contact with each other. The brother speaking to me is probably, you know, in his later 50s. He says, all of a sudden, I have a family member who wasn't doing well, and we heard from this friend after all this time. And of all things, this friend said, I'm praying for you guys. I'm praying for your loved one. And I was like, what? I thought he was total anti-God now. How is it that he's now saying he's a Christian? Well, turns out that after apparently more than three decades, he turned back to the Lord. And I say that just in light of this to tell you it's never too late. God doesn't want anybody to perish. Jesus wants all of us to be confessed before the Father is in heaven. That's why he came, because he loves each of us. So I would just say, even if you've had a season of denial, a season where you kind of mocked, there's a way back. Peter found his way back. We can find our way back. You've been listening to The Making of a Disciple, Part 3, on Walk in Truth. That was, Pastor Michael, that was Pastor Michael's teaching in Matthew, Chapter 10, Verses 24 through 32. If you missed any part of today's program, Walk in Truth is on Apple Podcast, iHeartRadio, Spotify, and many more podcast apps. Listen for free to Pastor Michael's teachings in more books of the Bible. You can email Pastor Michael with your questions you may have from his teaching today, or maybe you have a question about something else, or need encouragement, or prayer. Maybe you'd like to share how Pastor Michael's teachings have affected you. You can email Pastor Michael at contact at walkintruth.com. That's contact at walkintruth.com. And thanks for reaching out. You can also find our mailing address on walkintruth.com. Now, here's Pastor Michael with the final word. Well, I think the bottom line for this section in the making of a disciple, at least part one of the making of a disciple, is that disciples are in the making. <laughs> it's not an instantaneous thing, right? It, just, it does seem that it, a disciple is uh, made. How are disciples made? Well, in the Great Commission, Jesus said, go therefore and make disciples. And 
Then the how is answered, teaching them to obey everything that I've commanded you. When we watch Paul go into a town and plant a church, oftentimes when he was able to stay for an extended period of time, what did he do? He poured in to people to make disciples. He was following Jesus' great commission. So when a church gets planted, or let's just say that you're maybe you're uh, leading a Bible study, or maybe you have on your heart starting a Bible study at lunch once a week at work. How about that? How about thinking about praying about getting creative? Maybe you see a need in your local church and you're thinking, you know, it'd be nice if this was there. Well, why don't you bring that to your pastor and say, I want to do it. Here I am, Lord, send me. That's what it means to be a disciple. It means you're part of the solution. It means that you are being made into the image of Christ, which is a process, but you're willing to step out in that process and use your gifts for the glory of Christ Jesus. Amen and amen. I'm glad you're listening. This is Pastor Michael. We're going to do the making of a disciple part two starting tomorrow. We'll delve into this topic a little bit more in depth. It deserves our careful attention and we'll see you right here. God bless. And don't forget that Walk in Truth is a listener supported ministry. We appreciate our Walk in Truth financial partners. You contribute to our ministry, broadcast and podcast. As a thank you for your support, we've created the Walk in Truth app. If you'd like to become a Walk in Truth partner, any amount is appreciated. You can now give on the Walk in Truth app or visit walkintruth.com. And join us tomorrow for part four of Pastor Michael's teaching in Matthew 10 called The Making of a Disciple. I'm Mike Massaro. On behalf of Pastor Michael Lance and Living Truth Christian Fellowship, thanks for listening to Walk in Truth, equipping you to reach out with God's truth to all people.